is everywhere. It can be a bolt of lightning, a huge jet from the center of a galaxy, or a minuscule beam used to make semiconductors. Heck, plasma is 99.9% .9 of the visible universe. But what is it? Plasma is a hot charged fluid of electrons, ions, electric fields, photons, and neutral particles. Recently, plasma has garnered a lot of attention because it's used in fusion. Nuclear fusion. It's what fuels our stars for billions of years on end, granting light and heat. Without fusion, stars would collapse under their own gravity. It also potentially could power our future with amazing efficiency if we had the tech to do it. But the glitz and glam of fusion involves a lot of jumping through hoops and swinging ropes. It's a whole obstacle course with a rewarding energy output. One thing to note about fusion is that you have to combine nuclei. And nuclei include protons, which, because they're both positive, repel each other. Hard. For nuclei to fuse to Despite this immense repulsion, it takes lots of energy for them to bind. This energy requirement is the Coulomb barrier. To get past this barrier, we need high temperatures and quantum tunneling? Let's start with the classical stuff first. So we know it takes a lot of energy to push unwilling protons together. This energy can be provided by higher temperatures where particles move at high speeds. This gives them lots of kinetic energy that can be used to overcome the Coulomb barrier. Luckily for us, there's a handy tool we can use to find particle speeds based on the temperature of a gas. Behold, the Maxwell-Boltzmann distribution. In a gas, not every particle moves with the same speed. I mean, if it did, it'd be pretty creepy if they all stayed uniform the entire time. The Maxwell-Boltzmann distribution, or MB distribution for short, tells us the frequency of certain particle speeds. As you might expect, there is a most common speed for the temperature with the lower and upper extremes tapering off. What's even more interesting is that the higher the temperature gets, the more variation you find in particle speed. This is an advantage because it means the higher we go, the more really high outliers we're likely to find, and those outliers will have a much easier time crossing the Coulomb barrier and, and thus, in turn, fusing. Fusion is mainly dependent on three properties of a plasma, density, temperature, and how long it's confined. If any of these properties increase, the output energy also increases and fusion is more likely. Stars have no problem with this. Gravity crushes the particles within, both confining them and increasing density and temperature. Replicating of this on Earth is much harder. We don't have the benefit of the sun's immense gravity, so we have to confine plasma with magnetism. To find the minimum temperature needed for fusion of a particular type of plasma, we use average particle speed, electrical potential energy, and atomic radii. But when these calculations are done, they're way higher than is actually necessary experimentally or observationally. What gives? What gives is quantum mechanics, because usually when you have an issue with temperatures getting unforgivingly high, some quantization is needed. Quantum tunneling makes it easier for our unruly positive particles to quit their animosity. Quantum tunneling is also a really easy cop-out in sci-fi, but I digress. To understand this physics loophole, we have to look at the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. The principle states that it's impossible to know both a particle's momentum and position to exact precision simultaneously in the present thanks to a size limit, the Planck constant. Anyway, thanks to Heisenberg uncertainty, it's impossible for the position of a particle to move close enough to the other particle to fuse, since position isn't certain. This leads to a loophole that lets some particles fuse at lower temperatures than they normally would. 
The optimal energy to overcome the Coulomb barrier shouldn't be too small, because then the probability of quantum tunneling goes down. But the energy can't be too high, or else the number of particles that are capable of moving that fast in a particular temperature decreases as the Maxwell-Boltzmann distribution tapers off. Where these two probabilities merge can be modeled in a separate distribution called the Gamlow peak. Another thing to keep in mind is the nuclei that are useful for fusing have to have lots of potential energy. Fusing lighter elements gives way more energy than fusing heavier elements. Once you reach iron, fusion no longer yields energy. The great thing about finally crossing the Coulomb barrier is that we get a lot of energy in return, which is how we can support stars with the energy or, hopefully one day, support the power grid. Let's talk a little bit of astronomy. Astronomers are interested in the Coulomb barrier because it gives us information about how stars live and die. When stars are stable in the main sequence, they fuse hydrogen. Most of a star's life is spent in this phase because fusion supports it. So how does fusion occur in stars? There are two major processes that happen naturally in a star depending on mass. Smaller stars mostly fuse using the proton-proton chain, or the PP chain. Anyway, larger stars use the CNO cycle, which is a significantly less funny name. The proton-proton chain merges deuterium, protons, and even helium nuclei, while CNO uses carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, and positron decay in a reaction that feeds into itself. You know, the cycle. Bigger stars tend to have heavier elements in their cores, which is why there's even enough carbon, nitrogen, or oxygen to use. How much a star relies on either process is determined by temperature. After all, you can't cross the Coulomb barriers of heavier atoms without higher temperatures. Think about it. The bigger an atom, the more protons it has, the more repulsion you have to overcome. As for the sun, it uses the proton-proton chain more than the CNO cycle, but the discrepancy isn't horribly big between the two methods. When most of the lighter elements are exhausted, stars resort to denser and denser elements. Through hydrogen and helium may exist in a star, such as in the shell or on the surface, it isn't readily available for fusion. That leaves denser elements, whose Coulomb barriers are harder to cross and output less energy. A star first fuses hydrogen, helium, carbon, oxygen, neon, magnesium, silicon, and iron in that order. The efficiency of each event goes way down. Carbon fusion, not the CNO cycle, may last for 600 years in a star greater than 25 solar masses. But silicon fusion, that might last only a day. Naturally, stars often stop fusing once they become too cold to handle the high Coulomb barriers of heavier elements. Either that or they hit iron, which yields no energy during fusion, it only depletes it. Whatever route the star takes, it sparks the end of the star's life, whether it becomes a white dwarf, a neutron star, or a black hole. As we've seen, fusion influences the very fate of stars, but what can it do for the fate of our energy production? Fusion. It's a tantalizing energy source. Its major resource is hydrogen, which is everywhere. Fusion yields no waste, its energy output is beyond comprehension. It's a perfect energy source. Or it would be if it weren't for temperature, the Coulomb barrier, and turbulence, among other things. Currently, we need more energy than we get out of it to sustain a small fusion reactor. Ironically, the very thing that makes fusion possible, high temperatures, are a huge energy drain to deal with. Elements above boron are beyond the scope of what we can do technologically. Besides, lighter elements tend to yield more energy. The most common fuels are deuterium and tritium, deuterium and deuterium, deuterium and helium-3, and proton and boron. Deuterium is the isotope of hydrogen with a neutron, while tritium has two neutrons. 
Confining Fusion is like playing a game of the floor is lava, except the floor is a ring and is far hotter than lava. These devices that do this are called tokamaks, which look like very hot donuts. Delicious. No, really. Within the hole is a solenoid, which is like a coil of wire that creates a magnetic field that trap the plasma, ensuring the walls are unscathed. The magnetic fields created by coils around the donut track field lines that the hot particles follow around the hole. And so the fluid particles collide. Most of the time they scatter, but sometimes they fuse. More and more fusion reactions occur, producing energy. Currently, scientists are trying to break even. Create a system where the energy created by fusion is at least equal to the energy needed to perpetuate it. The TFTR from Princeton got close, though it only ran from 1982 to 1997. In 1993, the TFTR actually had an output power of 5.6 million watched and reached a temperature that was above what was needed for deuterium tritium fusion and was hotter than the sun's core. This is definitely a temperature where the coulomb barrier can be crossed. Though the TFTR closed, it paved the way for other tokamaks like D3D and NSTXU. <laughs> Now, there are quite a few active fusion reactors testing scientific theories or searching for commercial methods of fusion. Beyond tokamaks, there are other fusion device types like stellarators or inertial confinement, each with unique strengths and challenges. Creating fusion devices requires a meld of electrical engineering, fluid dynamics, plasma physics, mechanical engineering, optical physics, thermodynamics, electricians, and more. The most ambitious fusion device being made right now is ITER, the International Thermonuclear Experimental Reactor, supposed to be completed in 2005. ITER is trying to produce 500 megawatts for 50 megawatts of input. Hopefully it'll be a starting point for future generators. So from fusion reactors that could power our future, to fusion reactors above our heads across the sky, a couple nuclei with a whole lot of repulsion have reaching consequences. Or should I say, Coulomb sequences. Alright. <laughs> Beyond what I've outlined here, there's so much to explore about plasma, fusion, and nuclei. Thank you for joining me on Pursuing Chaos.